Let us open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 3. I'll read to you again the verses 21 to 31. Our text this morning is the verses 23 to 26. Romans, chapter 3, 21 to 31. Our text this morning really describes the essence of the book of Romans and the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is God's holy and living word. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded but what, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Thus far the reading of God's holy law and holy word. Let us pray that he would reveal it to us. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears and our hearts to see the glory of your gospel. For Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, when you read through the Old Testament, we find a great dilemma that begins to arise. And it's about the way that God acts, the way He does in the Old Testament. Now there are many people who wonder and are kind of afraid of the Old Testament because they see a God who is angry. And they see a God who judges severely and they might see that as a great dilemma. But that is not really the dilemma of the Old Testament because God is a just God who is the judge of all the earth. He executes justice on mankind. He punishes those who done, have done wrong and he elevates or glorifies those who have done right. The prophets explain this in great detail. The prophets explain that we should expect a righteous judgment from a righteous judge. We would say the same in our world, right? We expect judges to be fair, to uphold the standards of righteousness, because otherwise the whole world would be utter chaos. If everybody can do whatever they want to do and sins and offenses remain unpunished, nobody would do what is right. And so because God is a just God, it is not a dilemma that he is an angry God over a sinful world. The great dilemma is the opposite. How can a just God not condemn and kill and destroy 
sinners such as Abraham, Moses, David. Think of Abraham and his lies. He's saying to his, his, uh, to his wife, say, pretend you're my sister. Uh, go into somebody else's house. Pretend that you're not my wife. Uh, think of David and all this. And think of Moses and his sins. How can he forgive Abraham's lies about Sarah. How can he call David a man after his own heart when he knows the sins of David? How can God justify the ungodly? How can he love people who sin? After all, Proverbs 17, 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns The righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. How can he justify to have friends and servants that are obviously wicked in what they do? The same dilemma is here today, isn't it? How can God bless sinners today? Uh, the, The world might look at the church and say, How can God love you? You're not perfect. I've lived with you. I know who you are. I grew up with you. I've seen that time when you pulled that lady's hair in the classroom. I've seen you lie. I've seen you gossip. How can God love you? If he loves you, he must be an unjust judge. Beloved, the answer to this great dilemma is in our text this morning. Listen to these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. And then Paul explains why this must happen. 25 and 26 says, This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, God passed over the sins of the Old Testament believers because he would one day pay the penalty for all their sins. In the same way, the glorious gospel of salvation justifies people today through the payment of Jesus' blood. Beloved, what we learn is this golden truth, the precious blood of Jesus that was offered as a propitiation for our sins, simultaneously justifies us eternally and declares God as righteous from the days of old until now. Now we have heard of words like propitiation and redemption and justification, but I want to sit at the feet of these glorious truths as God speaks them to us in His Word to understand what Jesus did on the cross. As soon, I hope, all of you will be able to attend the Good Friday service. But there we will see what Jesus did and said on the cross. But here we really see the reason why. So let us begin with our first point, Jesus' blood of propitiation. 25 says, Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What does the blood of Jesus do? And what is propitiation? What can blood do? 
We never use blood. We can use blood to um, maintain the life, but blood never forgives sin. Uh, if you would stand before a judge and somebody has done a great sin, you don't offer a gallon of blood and say, here is the price. I don't want to go to jail anymore. What does blood do? What can it do? Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So what we learn is that blood purifies. Now this refers back to the Old Testament law, in which the blood of bulls and goats would make atonement for the people of Israel. Their sins, so to speak, would be laid upon the animal. The animal would be killed on their behalf, and God would count their sins towards these animals. That's what the Old Testament law tells us. And so without the death of these animals, the price is not paid, and the sin is still upon the people. But then, the author of Hebrews says that all these Old Testament laws, these endless oceans of blood that were spilled, was only a shadow. Only a shadow. A picture pointing forward to another kind of blood that would actually cleanse sinners. Hebrews 10 verse 1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. In other words, if you think about it, one day Christ would be hung upon the cross and that shadow is reaching back in time all the way to the law. It was seeing the form, but it wasn't until Christ was up on the cross that we would see the true reality and the true payment of this blood. It can, it says in Hebrews 10.1, these shadows, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, all the Old Testament sacrifices cannot make anyone perfect. You can offer a whole cattle of cows, and it wouldn't be able to purify you, because it's only a picture a representation of that which is real and the real blood that would be offered. And then it says in verse 4 to 7, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What is that talking about? What is that? Did you hear that? The Old Testament says, You must kill the animal and your sins will be transferred upon that animal. But later in the Bible he says, This goat, these goats and these bulls were never able to pay for any sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. There was never a bull in history that took away the sins of anyone. It was all pointing forward to the blood that would take away sins. For the offering and the sacrifice that is worthy, bulls and goats cannot satisfy the justice of God. Uh, God has been offended. 
He's an eternally glorious God. We have offended Him. How can He take pleasure in the death of a bull? How can that be justifying us before God? We have offended the eternal. What can the blood of a temporal bull, of a temporal goat, pay? But then, when Jesus Christ came into the world, you hear that language? He came into the world because he was outside of this physical world. He came from heaven into the world. He entered into the creation that he made. And he said, A body you have prepared for me. I came to inhabit a body. And in that body, the, God, the Son of God would offer himself And pay the full price of all sins. Our eternal sins is to be paid with an eternally worthy sacrifice. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. The perfect sacrifice is speaking about Jesus Christ in, the, in, the Psalm, in Psalm 40. It says, for, the light, for a body you have prepared for me. Your sins, beloved require the body of Jesus Christ to be crucified and killed. It requires the blood of the Son of God to be spilled on your behalf. You require a blood sacrifice for your sins. And it can be one of two. It is your own blood or the blood of the Son of God. That's where things stand before the throne of God. It is your blood forever and ever. Or it is the blood of the Son of God paying for all your sins. For it says here what this blood means, right? In Leviticus 17, 14, For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. It's not about the physical human blood of Jesus Christ. It is speaking about the life of Jesus Christ. That's the price. Blood is representative of the life of Christ. It cost God the life of His Son to pay for your sins. The law reveals to us our sins, but nothing reveals to us the guilt of our sin except this sacrifice. The blood of Christ was needed to save you. And me. He had the sins of sinners placed upon the head of Christ. He became sin for us. And he drank down the cup of the wrath of God. All on the Son. It was all poured out on the Son. He was crushed for our sins. He was broken for our iniquities. The sins of all of us was laid on him. Jesus Christ. To be the propitiation for our sins had to drink the very last drop of the wrath of God Almighty to save your soul. What you would have experienced for an endless eternity and the outpouring of God's wrath on you was brought all together in one cup and fully poured out, drunk by the Son of God. In the Old Testament, there's pictures of this cup That makes a man insane. It is so 
disturbing, so hard, so utter, utterly terrifying that the thought of it should drive our minds insane. Christ drank it on our behalf. When you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, do you realize that what you're saying is that God sent his son and his son drank the cup of the wrath of God down to its very last drop. He gave himself. And the crucifixion, the terrible, bloody display of a terrifying death is in itself but the shadow of the reality of the price that Jesus paid for our sins. This is what the precious blood of Jesus stands for. Later in the book of Hebrews, it is written that Jesus went into the presence of God and he presented his blood before the Almighty. In the most holy place, he presented the blood of his sacrifice. And he said, here is the price for my people's sin. That is propitiation. Romans 3.25, whom God put forth forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is so entirely the opposite in one sentence, isn't it? You realize what this said? Let me read it again. Whom God put forward, this is the Father put forward, the Son as a propitiation by His blood, as a sacrifice of bearing the unthinkable wrath of God. He presented that before the Father so that all we would do is to receive it by faith. Not go on a martyr's journey to Mecca or anywhere else, but to receive it by faith. I mean, this is incredible, isn't it? I mean, the most expensive things on this earth have a very expensive price, isn't it? There's many things that if I were to sell my house and all I have, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Because it's impossible for me to afford. Even if I would live three jobs, I wouldn't be able to pay these things. But here is the most precious, far more, one drop of this blood is more precious than the whole world put together and all the stars and the billions of universes. All of that put together is not, would flung into all eternity if you put it on a scale with one blood of this, one drop of this precious blood. And yet this most precious blood is offered by God himself to be received. By faith, to trust he who sacrificed his son for you. That is propitiation. Beloved, herein is the love of God, that he gave his only begotten son for sinners, so that anyone who receives the sacrifice of blood by faith will be forgiven from all of his or her sins. That's the gospel. Secondly, it goes on, isn't it? Well, it goes previously, but we'll go back a a verse in verse 24. I'll I'll pick it up from verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen to this. Listen. And are justified by His grace as a gift. As a gift. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If you're saying, well, yeah, I love to give gifts too. I give gifts to my children. No, these are gifts to murderers, to deceivers, to people who went after you, who hated you. You sacrificed your son for them. That is the redemption here. This is not for the good people. This is for the bad people. This is for me. This is for you. A gift of redemption. It can also be translated as as release. It was used in the context of slaves or prisoners of war. A slave or prisoners of war were captives to their owners. They they didn't have any freedom. They didn't have any right. They They were shackled, so to speak. And now the only way to freedom was that they would receive a release from someone outside. They had no money. They had no possessions. They needed the redemption of another, of a benefactor who would release them. When somebody would come to them and they would say, this slave or this prisoner I will pay for. I will give as a free gift. I will set them free. I will give this amount of money so that they can go free. They couldn't afford it themselves. They couldn't even work for it because they already belonged to someone. Whatever they did, it was never gaining them anything because they were already slaves. They were already prisoners. Prisoners don't earn their own freedom. And that's why it emphasizes that redemption is a gift from God because He loves His people. He loves those whom He created. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We missed the mark. We're ruined. We are guilty and bound. And we are headed on judgment day. And we're in this dark and glooming reality. But now suddenly, if you hear this, the gospel tells you, I've paid the price. Here it is. Here is an eternal sum of money. Be free. Your shekels, I ripped them off. You're free. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to the judgment. You're no longer a slave to the devil. You're free. That's what it speaks about. Redemption. Fully paid. Fully free. Someone has paid. Price of redemption. To set you free from the shackles of darkness. And make you a child of the living God. A free son and daughter in the house of the Almighty. Can you see this redemption? Oh, this is good news. This is someone, the someone that offers you by grace as a gift. I love that phrase. By grace as a gift. By grace is an undeserved Love or action towards us, which we would call a gift, something gift like. And so, by grace as a gift means from someone who loves to give gifts, it comes to you as a gift so that you receive it as a gift. This is fully paid by God. And it comes to us and it's placed before us. And it says, this is the good news. It's paid for all of you. Receive it. Because I am a generous God. And I've paid the ultimate price for this gift. 
And I want you to receive it. This gift contains justification. Being made just. You see, it would be one thing to receive freedom from your owner, but then right away you're then again shackled to the law. Because you're still condemned as a sinner. You might be freed from one slave master, but you might have so much debt, you're then chained to another master. But the gift here is full and pure and eternal justification. Your shekels are loosened and you have been paid so much that no matter what debt you might collect on this earth, you're still free. The price is still paid. It is all paid because of the blood of Jesus Christ and its preciousness. It is precious. It is precious. This gift fully secures the release of those who receive it. It pays perfectly for all our sins and is freely offered. It's a, it's a gift by grace. Oh, beloved, do you remember the first time when you were in that gloomy reality? Do you remember when you saw your hands as hands of blood? And your path as a path of blood. And your heart as a heart of rebellion. And your mind as a production of idols and sins and hypocrisy. Do you remember the day when you knew that you knew that you knew that you were guilty? And that there is no hope for you ever to wash yourself clean. Because whenever you tried, you just spread the mud that is on your hands. You could wreak the sense of your sins from a mile away. You knew you were condemned. But oh, beloved, do you also remember that when you came trembling before the Word of God and you read that God is in the high and lofty place and with those who tremble at His Word. That it is the gospel that is given freely to those who don't deserve it. That's an understatement. Who deserve the exact opposite. Oh, beloved, we need to renew our joy in this, don't we? We have such a tendency to look at the gift of grace the same way we look at the world. It grows old and it loses its glory once familiarity comes and sets in. Do you know that your sins of this week have been paid by the blood of Christ? Do you know that the sins of your mouth of this week have been covered by the redemption of Christ? Do you know that 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 price that was paid still pays for you not to be drawn back into the land of the devil? But that you're a free child of the living God. Free to walk in the grace of the Almighty. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. You don't deserve it because of what family you're from. You don't deserve it because of what you've done. You don't deserve it because of what you haven't done. 
And so do I. We need a gift that is so free that we don't have to pay anything. Because otherwise it's hopelessly lost. Because the Bible says that even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, like a bloody cloth. We need it so free that all we can provide is debt. And that's what the gospel does. That you come and recognize that you have a debt that is so heavy that you need the price of the blood of the Son of God to pay for it. Beloved, what a wonderful news. I was so blessed this week because I could think about these things over and over and over again. But what a blessing. I was rejoicing in my study, thinking that it would be given to me the privilege of sharing these things to you this morning, of showing to you, not as one who invented it, but somebody who merely repeats it, but to have the privilege of carrying words like justification, redemption, propitiation to your ears. Oh, beloved, don't be. Don't be like those who close their ears and hearts. Be like those who are hungry and thirsty. Because this is precious. Now, how would any of us receive this precious gift? Well, 25 says it, 24 said it's the gift that comes from the grace of God. And verse 25 says it is to be received by faith, not works nor payment, but faith. Can there be anything more clear in the word? I mean, Paul is, is going out of his way to explain something, isn't it? He is repeating again and again, it's by faith, it's a gift, it's free, it's, it's by the grace of God. It is not by the works of the law. Uh, and then he later on is going to say, there's nothing to boast about this. It's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. Don't squeal back. And a little bit of works. Don't do that. It is fully a gift. Don't even say, but I must respond really well to it. There's only one way for a beggar to respond properly. And it's with his eyes and hope and his hands up. Lord, I need this. The right response to receive this gift is to receive it. To receive it. Don't doubt the grace of God. Don't ignore the love of God. But receive it as a gift from God. And not in a generic... Listen, I'm not speaking to you as a crowd. I'm speaking to you as individuals. As an individual to receive it. You must listen to these things as though you're the only one in the room. Or you're the only one who listens on the radio. Or you're the only one who watches over the live stream. That you are the only one who hears this. Because this word comes to us this morning directly. Receive it as a gift from God. Beloved, there are only two reasons why people will go to hell. Either they don't believe that they are hell-deserving sinners, and so they don't need all grace. There's many like that. They think they need some grace and have some of their own good things, whatever it is, whatever religion it is. 
Well, Lord, let's not discount that I've read the Bible very faithfully since I was young. I was part of the choir and I've sung really well. Don't discredit that and then add whatever the little part is that's left, add grace there. God says, it's not for you because you're not trembling at my word. You're not poor in spirit. You're proud in spirit. You've just seen the over-obvious reality that you still need grace. But you're not honest. You're a hypocrite or self-deceived. There are many of those. The other kind of people that will not make it to heaven is that they don't believe that God's offer of salvation is freely offered to them. Now the first just frustrates me. The second one breaks my heart. You have an idea of God that he is a cold heart. You've read the judgments of him in the Old Testament and you think that is the God that is the God to me. He stands ready to judge. He has a boulder suspending over my life and he can't wait to release it. Beloved, you are just as wrong as those who think that they're righteous. Because you don't understand God at all. You're, you're looking at Baal and think he is the God of the Bible. You're thinking God requires of you the killing of your children of some sort of cruelty like that. But the God that we have has crucified his own son. For sinners, for the chief of sinners, Paul says. Never. Never dare to say like that man that hid his talent in the ground and say, I know that you're a strict and cruel master, so I hid your talent in the ground. Don't approach God like that. Because you're judging God and you're in big trouble. And it's not pious. It's not reverent. It's not even fear of God. It's foolishness. This idea... That you hear the gospel and then in your own little voice are saying, well, maybe I'm not elect. I'll only respond to it when you tell me that I'm elect. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in the election and the sovereignty of God. But if you say that to God, how dare you? Don't talk back to God. When he says, I've given my son, receive it as a gift. And you're saying, I don't trust you. I don't think you're offering it as a gift. I think you're just showing it in front of me, but you're not actually giving it to me. You're making God dishonest. You're making God a liar. That's not respect. That's not reverence. That's not fear of God. That is pride and foolishness and darkness. That's sin. And it breaks my heart. Because I know that you're not, in your heart, you're not standing up and shaking your fist to God. But you're misled. Your eyes have been covered for the true God. It is not the God of the Bible. When the God of the Bible tells you, here is my salvation, receive it as a gift. And you say, I don't trust you. 
You're not pious. You're rebellious. You're not knowledgeable about the election of God. You're ignorant about the grace of God. Beloved, God extends His grace to be received as a gift for sinners that deserve hell. I've heard of people, and I've spoken to people, that have said, well, I can't receive the grace of God because I sin in not feeling my sin enough, and until I stop sinning from feeling my sin enough, I cannot come to Christ. What foolishness is that? So now you're sinning by thinking that your sin is not enough sin, and then you're sinning that one thing you th- one time a day you think that you sin enough so that God can save you. What darkness! What foolishness! Beloved, you're worse than a murderer of men because you rape the grace of God. I know no stronger term. It's not pious. It's not even honest. And it's unbiblical. The sovereignty of God is a comforting doctrine for those who receive the grace of God. But if it keeps you out, you're not getting it. You're not a great theologian. You're stubborn. The Bible says with absolute clarity, grace as a gift. You say, well, prove to me that this is for anyone. Okay. Okay. 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by this great as a gift. All have sinned. That's the people to whom it's directed. For all who have sinned, They receive it freely. Now you're not receiving it. Then you will not have it. And so there's two people. That will never be saved. Unless they repent and turn from their foolish ways. Some who say I'm righteous enough. Whether you say it with your mouth or believe it with your heart. And the others who don't trust the grace of God. Beloved. Let me just clarify something. I believe in the sovereignty of God so much that I know that I wouldn't be able to stand here if it was not for the grace of God. That the sovereignty of God has pulled me out of the darkness more than I will ever realize. That He was working in more inclinations of my heart and drawing me by the Holy Spirit, reaching from heaven with a supernatural work greater than the creation of the world, written in Genesis chapter 1, all by the sovereignty of God. I believe that I wouldn't be saved unless I was elect. And yet, how can I twist God's word and say that only when you know that you're elect you can receive the grace of God? I must stand with Scripture who says, anyone who comes and cries out to God for salvation will be saved. And if you say, well, then you can't put it together. How does that work? I don't know. The secret things belong to God, but those things whom He has received, we better learn to obey. Beloved, all I'm trying to say 
is read God's word and trust the voice of the living God. It breaks my heart to think some of you here have not turned. Has fallen in one of these two camps. Either one you think you don't really need grace and you just wave the flag of Jesus as an extra insurance but not because you're in hell the serving sinner. Or on the other hand, because secretly in your heart you say, I'm not worthy. You think that God expects something from you, a little work to make you ready for grace. Only those who are saved are those who are broken because they've seen and listened to God's word. And then they're saved by God's word. The longer I preach, the more I think, how simple. When people say, how can I be saved? How simple. Read the word of God. Believe what it says. It says you're a sinner. If you believe that, your heart will be broken. But then keep reading and it says, God gave his son to be the price for you so you can be saved. And then you're saved. To believe what he says. Because faith comes through hearing. And hearing comes through the word of God. Finally, let me be close because I realize we're running out of time. Jesus' blood is not only the Savior of sinners, but also the preacher of God's righteousness. Did you notice that? Verse 25, it says in the second half, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The reason why God could be merciful for to David and Abraham and Moses and all the rest in the Old Testament because he was passing over former sins. Not because he was forgetting them, but he was waiting until he would pay for them. And when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he died for the lies of Abraham about Sarah. He died for David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband. He died for the time that Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock. Jesus Christ paid for every sin in the Old Testament. He was passing over former sins. Listen to this. In his divine forbearance. This is the idea. It's pressing almost into our view here. It's the idea that God's almighty patience had to hold back the justice, but he held it back until Jesus hung upon the cross and it was poured out on him. Every sin of every Old Testament saint is paid for. But also in our day, in our day, 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus died so that he might be your justifier. He paid for their sins and he paid so that he might in the future be your justifier. And the idea is this, if you want to have this in a picture, Christ's crucifixion looks back in time and by the divine forbearance paid for every sin and he looks forward in time and so all of our sins, not just our past, but the sins until the day that we die. And he brought it all together and it was poured out upon the Son of God so that he might be the justifier of the one who looks to him. And so, beloved, how can I but close with this question? 
Have you been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you received this almighty gift, not as a work of the law, so that no one may boast, but as a free gift from God, setting you free from the shackles of your judgment, but also from the shackles of your dark heart. Beloved, that is good news. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that your gracious love would teach us more and more your gospel every day. Speak to us, Lord, and fill us with your Holy Spirit. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.